I'm Marco Werman, and this is The World, a co-production of the BBC World Service, PRI, and WGBH Boston. It must have been a very tense meeting today between Defense Secretary Leon Panetta and Afghan President Hamid Karzai. The meeting in Kabul was preceded by news that the U.S. soldier accused of killing 16 Afghan villagers on Sunday had been flown out of Afghanistan. After his talks with Panetta, Karzai put out a statement demanding that American troops pull back immediately from the country's rural areas and villages. Karzai also said the U.S. should speed up the transfer of security duties to Afghan forces. Panetta later repeated for reporters what he'd said to Karzai about Sunday's killings. I assured him that, uh, first and foremost, uh, that uh, I shared uh, his regrets about what took place. Uh, that we extended uh, our deepest condolences to the, to the families, to the villages, and to the Afghan people uh, over what uh, occurred. And uh, I again pledge to him that uh, uh, we, are, we are proceeding with a full investigation here and that we will bring uh, the individual involved to justice. That individual is now in Kuwait despite Afghan calls for a trial in Afghanistan. Eugene Fidel teaches military justice at Yale Law School. He also served as a judge advocate in the U.S. Coast Guard. Fidel says that what happens next in this case will most likely be determined by the principles of military law, starting, he says, with an investigation similar to a police investigation. The next thing that happens under military justice is a separate investigation that is in the nature of a preliminary hearing. It's called an Article 32 investigation, and you cannot conduct a general court-martial without there having been an Article 32 investigation. It doesn't produce an indictment. It simply produces a recommendation to some senior officer as to what charges, if any, should be brought to trial. So you're talking a court-martial Article 32 investigation. Is this soldier subject only to military law or also U.S. civil law? Well, the soldier is subject to U.S. uh, civilian criminal law as well, but I would be awfully surprised if this wound up in federal district court. I mean, you know, we live in an era where Congress has (laughs) fallen in love with the military courts, and I, I can't imagine why this case would be taken to a civilian federal court. There's another question, which is, can the soldier be prosecuted in the Afghan courts? And there, I think the train has left the station. We have an agreement with the Afghan government that basically exempts U.S. military personnel in that country from Afghan criminal jurisdiction. So I think the forum here is going to be the U.S. military justice system. Just to get a sense of consistency, suppose there's a foreign soldier deployed to the U.S., and it does happen. There are exchange programs for foreign military on U.S. bases. And let's say that foreign soldier goes on a shooting spree here. Where does he or she get tried? It depends on whether this is a status of forces agreement or other understanding between the two countries. The status of forces agreements try to regularize that process instead of having it a matter of guesswork or ad hoc negotiation every time there's an incident. We do have, for example, a status of forces agreement with Japan. And under that agreement, we've had a string of incidents in Okinawa, typically involving rape charges or other sexual assaults. And those GIs have been prosecuted in the Japanese courts. That is permitted under the U.S.-Japan Status of Forces Agreement. One question a lot of people have been asking, so far the name of this man has not been released. Is that typical? Is there a legal basis or a reason for this? Well, it's certainly not typical. 
the government in a case like this would typically make the name available. This is the first time that I can think of in the United States where the name of a soldier accused of a, a serious offense has been withheld this long. What we have to keep in mind is that a court-martial is not part of the regular federal court system. And because a court-martial is technically part of the executive branch of the government, its records are subject to public inspection only under the Freedom of Information Act, which has an exemption for ongoing investigations. So if the government wanted, it could really try to resist public and media curiosity on this for quite some time. But I can't imagine that happening. I mean, sooner or later, that name is going to get out. And certainly by the time there are any public proceedings, which I think are likely in the next, let's say, couple of weeks. Now, this isn't the first time in the last decade there's been a horrible incident involving U.S. service people and local populations. Another one was the Haditha killings in Iraq, uh, for instance. Has the U.S. military been able to deal with these cases in a way that you feel inspires confidence in the military justice system? Long pause. And a deep breath, I noticed. And a deep breath. There certainly have been cases where I've wondered whether public confidence was really engendered by the administration of justice under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. I do believe that some of the outcomes are surprising, either cases that never got the trial or cases that led to less than the full force of the law being brought to bear or cases where there were acquittals. The system generally produces fair outcomes, but when you have a sufficient number of data points where you find yourself scratching your head. And I think it's time to pull back and say, uh, let's take a look at this system systematically. We have a good system, but it's a system that could be made substantially better and substantially more credible. Eugene Fidel teaches military justice at Yale Law School. He's the co-author of Military Justice Cases and Materials. Thank you very much indeed. My privilege.